name is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to More Than Child's Play. This is physical therapist Nicole Sturgeon. I'm co-owner of Milestones and Miracles. I'm here today with my best friend, speech therapist Lacey Marisi, who owns our company. We are a um, child-centered and family-centered company devoted to the preservation and promotion of play as the healthiest way that young children learn. Today, we're really excited to bring to you um, an episode that is going to be part of our educational series as we go back to school and head into classrooms this fall. We're going to be talking about pre-K with a very special lady who is near and dear to both Lacey and I. Um, Around here, she's known as Miss Melanie, and we'll just say that she is is a pre-K goddess. Um, that's what I'm going to call her. But I'm going to let you tell. I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself and her background. She has an interesting story and um, journey through pre-K. And then we're going to talk today about a lot of things. I think that that parents worry about and questions that parents have concerning early learning environments. So welcome, Miss Melanie. Thank you, Nicole, and thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education, kind of what's, what's your journey? How did you end up where you are now? Well, the first thing I usually always tell everybody about me is that I'm from the Chicagoland area. <laughs> um, I currently reside in West Virginia and have lived here with my family for about the last 18 years. That means um, we claim you now. Thank you. <laughs> Some, somebody has to. <laughs> So I started teaching preschool in high, actually in high school when I was about 15 years old. We had a lab um, preschool, much like the one Musselman has in Inwood. Um, so I started teaching preschool through through the high school classes, and then I kind of opted out of those and started taking classes through the local community college, and just kind of continued on. And as I say, the rest is history. Um, I eventually ended up going and getting a bachelor's degree in psychology with an emphasis on early childhood development. Um, I also accompanied that with a substance abuse counseling degree um, and moved right out. I've always worked um, right out of high school. I became a nanny. Also worked um, along with in the preschool with the little girl that I nannied for. So I've just, it's just, every, it's all I've ever known was to work with preschoolers. And then eventually we moved here and started my family and realized that there weren't a lot of resources out here for, for families with young children. So I decided to start my own program, which started off as a mommy and me program and evolved. I didn't know that. Yeah, and then it evolved into a preschool and started off at Clyde's Karate. I have to give... <laughs> Big, um, what's the word? Props. Big thanks, thanks. to Miss, Mr. Uh, Tim Clyde, because he really was um, an inspiring force for me to start that preschool in that little karate space. And it evolved into a bigger preschool 
um, with our own location and lasted 10 years. It's amazing. And then that was located in Inwood. And then I found out there was a job opportunity at Morgan Academy and realized that owning a business is not an easy thing, especially with three children. So decided for the best option for our family was for me to close the preschool and work for Morgan Academy. And then three years later, we we started a preschool at Morgan Academy. That's amazing. So you, you are in charge of the preschool program at Morgan Academy? Yes. Tell us a little bit about Morgan Academy. What kind of school is that? Um, Morgan Academy is, um, of course, I'm biased. My son went there before I worked <laughs> there, and it is a very, very special place to learn. Um, I would call it very eclectic. Um, it's a place where all children are accepted, all learning styles are accepted and recognized, and you just you have to come and see it. And there's gardens, a nature trail. Um, all the teachers that work there are amazing and wonderful and love each child for who they are. That's great. What does a typical day look like for you there? I know a little bit, but tell our listeners. I'm all often um, looking longingly at Melanie's pictures from her preschool <laughs> program thinking that I really want to be a student there because it just looks so much fun. But tell our listeners a little bit about how you structure your program, what your classroom is like, what a day looks like for a kid lucky enough to be there. For in the, specifically the preschool. Yeah. Um, so we have each, each well, each classroom um we have our own classroom for the preschool and the children arrive in the morning and they come down and they take off their shoes because we like to be comfy Mm -hmm. um and then they come in and we do a meet and greet and we start off with circle time and we play and we have snack and we spend a lot of our days a lot of our mornings our preschool mornings outside on the nature trail um, as well as outside, there's the gardens and the animals and the pigs. So I always come home and tell my husband that I do have one of the best jobs ever because I get to spend, if there's if it's a beautiful day outside, I get to go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to share this with children. And, ch- and they sometimes share things with me. If they see something outside or something they want to do that day, they, they inspire me. So. so a lot of times it's led by their child interests. Yes, yes. What made you fall in love with kids this age, working with them, and and what inspires you to do this work? Well, what inspires me is I've always had a deep connection with uh, my preschool years. I I still have memories of being in preschool myself and just wanting children to feel safe and develop certain happy feelings Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily are always going to remember your preschool time, your your early years, but you're going to always have that deep and rooted emotional feelings um, when you hear a certain song or you smell a certain toy Mm -hmm. or read a certain book. Um, And I want, what inspires me is to make sure that children have positive emotions and positive feelings and feel safe. That's so important since it's really their first association with formal learning for it to be a positive one. Exactly. And I have to say it's where Eric Carl comes into. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Go right in. Eric I, till this day, can always still remember putting my finger 
through the the cardboard pages of his book, um, through the different the holes in the fruit. Yeah, the and I, yes, the hungry caterpillar, and I can remember the smell of the book and the texture of the pages, and it just it really they say research and experts and all of us know that work in early childhood. We know that children learn through their senses. But the fact that you there's there's always that one special thing that you as an adult mm-hmm. can remember and it's it's true. Like we Melanie is the president of the Eric Carl fan club. <laughs> Not for real, but <laughs> Not officially. <laughs> Unofficially, right? Unofficially. I remember I remember feeling um Daddy's scratchy beard, Pat the Bunny. Yes, mm-hmm. I was gonna. I knew exactly what. Point. Yeah, yes. like I remember. I remember that very vividly, um, and and I remember that book had a smell like powder or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, yeah, it's okay. funny. So choosing a preschool is a big step for many parents in our work in early ed, our early intervention. When kids exit out of the birth to three program that we work in. We always get this question. What do you think about preschool? Are they too young to go to preschool? Should I send them to preschool? And I think parents are overwhelmed by the choices, which we'll touch on in a minute. But it's really the first time they're choosing an educational setting for their child. It's the first time maybe outside of family or a routine sitter that they're choosing someone to trust with their young child. Um, In your opinion, working so many years in early childhood, what are some things parents should look for when they're visiting schools or researching prospective schools? So this is a really big question. Yes, I know. Um, And this... (laughs) Take your time. (laughs) The first thing that I always tell parents when they come and interview for a preschool or ask is the first thing I always say is trust your gut instincts and each... Whether choosing a preschool or what situation, full day, half day, three day, two day, five day, it's it's all fam. It's what works best for your family. Um, what if you're a stay at home parent and you have the option of sending your child only two days? Um, I believe that if they're with you the rest of the week, that's just as beneficial as them going to to a preschool. So. There is no wrong, and there is no wrong or right answer to this. So I'm just going to begin by obviously starting with some of the obvious. Like when you walk into preschool, do you does it smell nice? Does it mm-hmm. feel nice? Does it look clean? Mm-hmm. Um, but most importantly, the very first thing that I always say that you should look for is how are the adults interacting with the children? Are they are they interact? First of all, are they interacting at all? Mm-hmm. Um, when they speak with the children, are they getting down to their level? Are they eye level with the children? Are their interactions positive? Or do they seem nurturing? Um, those, to me, is is the is the biggest factor of any preschool. Mm-hmm. Um, how the teachers speak to children is going to develop their relationships. Um, teachers working with the children, they need to teach children how to respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes into punishment versus discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to make sure that a sc- the preschool uses a discipline. Um, punishment is should never really be used. Discipline means teaching. Mm-hmm. So when a child, if you see in a center, if you're observing as a parent, I always recommend observing. If a preschool won't let you observe, then I would say that's a, a red, a red flag. flag. Yeah. <laughs> so any any preschool should let you come in and observe. 
um, at any point during the day. So um, discipline. So going back to discipline is, like I said, is is teaching. Um, and I'm not a big proponent of timeouts. I believe that discipline is just it's teaching a child to make the right choice when they're not. And that means guiding as an adult, asking them questions. What could we have? How could we fix this? Um, obviously, not getting showing frustration back at the child, which is sometimes hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But those are all things um, like the big, the first things that mm-hmm. I look for when when I walk into any other a I, school. I had a my daughter's had a middle school teacher that said, "I'm not, I'm not." What did she say? I'm not correcting you. I'm reteach. I'm helping you to relearn, or I'm there reteaching you. you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also um, do you hear laughter? Yeah, that's a really. Yeah. Do you hear laughter? Yeah. Do you and do you just do you have an overall feeling of feeling welcome? Um, and do the children seem happy? Mm-hmm. Are they playing? Are they happy? Do the teachers seem happy? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, are the walls obviously this is a big one for me art filled walls this is another big one for me. art should be we were just speaking about Nicole's art children's <laughs> artwork hanging in her her walls here as we where we sit but um, artwork should not all look the same no it should be open ended there shouldn't be a model no um, there should not be pre cut triangles right <laughs> that are placed and there is a time. difference there is a place for crafts. Mm-hmm. Right, and there is a difference between crafts and, and art, art. Mm-hmm. and there is a place for crafts. Mm-hmm. Um, but there should be art. There should be art, and it should all look different. And um, I always say to big another big proponent of a good preschool is documentation of the children's learning, which mm-hmm. we'll talk later yeah. about because you have a question for me about worksheets. Yeah, because um, that's another one that there shouldn't. Shouldn't be worksheets. We can say that twice. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be okay to say twice that there shouldn't be worksheets in the preschool. Um, I have my list here also includes, are there interesting um, materials provided throughout the environment to use? And are children given plenty of time to explore them? Um, Mm -hmm. And instead of, do you hear the teachers offering suggestions that encourage a more complex way of thinking and playing. So instead of saying, just saying, good job, good job, are the teachers engaging with the children? Are they probing them? Are they fostering their curiosity? Asking questions like, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you figure that out? It's so like if a child... Open-ended questions yes, that promote pro- thinking. Yes, explain to me what you're doing. instead Because, of, of course, children always want to hear that good they did job. a good job. But it's uh, to me, it's an empty... It's an empty um, praise. Pra- yes. So if the teachers are getting down on their level and asking them to explain to me how, like you said, probing them to think at a higher level. Mm-hmm. But it not only that, but it also makes the children feel important. Mm-hmm. And it basically gives back to the child what what was it that I did that specifically that was a good job. Mm-hmm. It gives them a true sense of confidence building. Exactly. Versus always being told they're right or great right. for no reason. And why? What did, yeah. what did they actually do that was good? Right. Yeah, um, that's important. And does it seem like an environment that's filled with awe and wonder? Mm-hmm. So this, I'm going to write that down. Children need to be allowed to be children. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. 
Absolutely. There's so many methods. Um, You know, I remember when I was first choosing preschools and it was, I had two two young kids very close in age, um, which changed a budget for a preschool. And, you know, there's Montessori, there's Reggio, there's Music Base, there's Waldorf, there's Project Base. There's so many choices. And I'm just curious your opinion. Does the method or the label really matter? Um, If not, is it more important to focus on the aspects of things you just talked about? Um, Basically, what are the components? That's kind of... I would say, first of all, if you're really um, philosophy, some families' philosophies are important to them. Um, and it's to me, it's a starting point. Mm-hmm. If you have a strong belief in a philosophy, I would first say research. Mm-hmm. Research online. Find out the most information that you can before you go um, to start your looking. Search. Yep. Also, um, but overall, a label does not make a quality preschool. And any preschool can call itself any one of these philosophies. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you had to be like a certified Montessori or... There are certified Montessoris. And in order to be a certified Montessori school, to call yourself a certified Montessori school, you have to be certified. But, But typically, any preschool can put any of one of these labels and say that they use these philosophies. Montessori. We use Montessori philosophy. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So just do your research is what I say. And mm-hmm. if it's if it's important to you the philosophy, then you'll usually you'll know um, in your gut. If not, like I said, a lot of the preschools will say they use the different mm-hmm. philosophies, but just overall, it's not going to make what matters the most is like the things we spoke about earlier: mm-hmm. teachers' interactions. That's good. Mm-hmm. I remember um, calling. You know, I was very systematic with my first child. I looked up all the preschools in the area. Then I whittled it down to the list of ones I had heard of or new friends had used. And then I started calling from from top to bottom. And one preschool in particular, when I said, can you tell me a little bit about your program? Um, They said, well, um, we offer Spanish three days a week and computers four days a week and a certain percent, like 60% of our four-year-olds read before they leave Mm -hmm. and I was like oh oh, okay it seemed intimidating to me because as a mom I wanted my child to um, stand in line raise their hand share with friends build their vocabulary and just have fun with other kids and so it seemed it seemed a bit much for me Um, which everyone has their own preferences but as a parent but I'm curious as a professional um, what do you know about learning and play? What what do you want parents to know about it? What it really means for a child to be smart, or even more important than smart, to learn um, in at this age. You know, in that two to five gap, how should their learning look? I was just gonna say, do we have another? We might need another hour for yeah. this for this question. <laughs> <laughs> Our questions this are loaded. Pretty much um, everything that I believe in when it comes to early childhood development, that the play is a child's job. Play is essential for a child to learn. It's how they experience the world. Playing is fun. So children become absorbed in what they are doing, and they learn more deeply that way. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings me on to the topic again. We're going to keep going back to that topic of worksheets, but we'll get there. Playing, um, so children shouldn't be doing worksheets. They shouldn't be drilled at this age. They should be 
playing. Um, they sh- playing builds self-worth by giving a child a sense of his or own abilities, and then they feel good about themselves. Children learn through their senses. And this, is the, this is a story that I always tell parents that I learned in one of my classes. When a child plays, through the, they're, they're using their senses. They're, they're touching, they're seeing, they're hearing, they're smelling. Sometimes they're tasting. Um, <laughs> even if you don't want them. I was them. just going to say, even if you don't want them, want them to be too. tasting. But when they're using their senses and their, their brain from zero to age five is still being wired. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stops being wired at age five, around age five. So yeah, when they are actually using their senses and having these interactions and having these experiences, there are tiny little electrical synapses being fired off in their brains. And when these synapses fire off, they're actually connecting brain wire. They're, mm-hmm. And their brain play, is being play wired. Playbuilt brains, Miss Yes, Melanie. so their brain is actually <laughs> smarter. This is There is actual proof, physical proof, that when a child plays, their brain actually becomes smarter. It be, it, their brain is wired, yeah. has more connections and more wiring, which by age five is going to be permanent. But when they're three, four, five years old and sitting at the table in preschool just doing that worksheet, then... We're removing all that sensory experience that they gain through play. So their their brain is firing less, creating less synapses. So it just doesn't make sense, right? We know they learn the best through play. So why are we, you know, why would any preschool want them to sit and just use their hand to write on a paper or practice letters or whatever it is? Well, I think in, in this, and we're, I think as adults, we're, parents and teachers, we're all guilty of this worksheets. Um, make adults feel better it makes us feel like a child is at, we can see their learning is ta- yes mm-hmm. is tangible it's proof oh look this this is what they just learned when in reality it's harder they, to measure play right exactly and i have again and the benefit of it there's an element of trust exactly and that's where documentation comes into play oh, no pun intended yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I also have um, that jotted down that a well-developed imagination allows children to think of other solutions to a problem. So when a child plays, they're building their imagination. They're learning how to come up with other ways to solutions, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that they're going to carry on with them throughout their their life. Right. And we sometimes, when we do a lecture on play... Um, in person, but also through MedBridge education. And one of the examples we use there, which I see this all the time in your classroom is, you know, we talk about when we were little and hopefully some kids now still get the chance to go outside and grab a stick. And what is the stick? It's a golf club. It's a lightsaber. It's a magic wand. It's a baton. It's, you know, whatever. It's anything the child wants it to be. But if, they're in a room full of toys that only serve a specific purpose per toy. We rob them of the ability to use that imagination muscle and that problem-solving strategy. And so I love that your classroom and other classrooms that I've been in actually have fewer and more simple materials that allow them to create the situation. And we there's actually a, a term that's been coined for that and they're it's called loose parts 
Okay. Yeah. I've and, heard that. And loose parts just means like exactly what it says. Um, loose parts. So it could it could be rocks, pebbles, little sticks, little tree blocks. Mm-hmm. But what this what these loose parts allow children not only can they come up with other scenarios for these pieces, but they we use them a lot for math. Mm-hmm. So they make patterns. Um, a lot of times I find my children in my classroom using these materials to make patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, Naturally. Yes. And counting. And they will sort them. And we use them for putting them in order by size or looking up different um, qualities, colors. So there's, so there's an endless, endless learning opportunities to be... Yeah. Instead of worksheets. And that's why I, th- I think this is so important because I I get it. As a parent, if you're trusting someone or investing your money into putting your child somewhere, you want to make sure they're learning. But education like this, like you're sharing with us today, will help parents to get a better understanding of that those materials, those experiences, those situations are giving your children really concrete early education foundations. Um, it just isn't coming home in their backpack in a exactly. worksheet. And I always say going and going back to letters and learning, um, letters and should be that's another thing to look for all around the room. Mm-hmm. Are in books. Mm-hmm. Are there lots of um, books? Books, picture books, letters, and they shouldn't. Even though we're, we're talking about children not memorizing letters on a worksheet, they should still be exposed to letters. They should Early still literature. be exposed to numbers. They should be, through, they should be involved in everything they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this age, learning letters means learning what letters do. What is the job? Mm-hmm. What, do, what is the job of a letter? Mm-hmm. That each letter has a sound. Each letter has a shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, the, the children at this age are learning a foundation for learning a to familiar read. sense correct so when they do developmentally get to the age where it's appropriate for them to learn to read mm-hmm. they understand why why do the letters put together form these sounds mm-hmm. um, so they create they should be creating a foundation at this age and a love for learning yeah um, so it's good you know, we've um, we've read a lot and we've talked to a lot of, a lot of other podcast guests um, about increased anxiety in children and the inability to make decisions for themselves, the fear of taking chances. And I'm just wondering if this is a trend you're seeing with young children, um, and also like with families and how they approach their child taking risks, um, or that if there's any other trends. Do you see that? Absolutely, unfortunately. We see, <laughs> why do you we think, see, like, why do you think that that goes on? Are they scared of failing? Are they are they scared of struggle? Are they? I'm not quite sure how to answer that, honestly. Um, but I do see a lot of children coming at this age into preschool and not knowing how to self regulate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- and this causes these it causes lots of anxiety and frustration for children because they don't know how to cope with their emotions because we're all at some point we're all going to feel sad we all get frustrated that's mm-hmm. one thing that we teach the children it's okay to feel frustrated it's okay to feel sad it's okay to get upset but how you handle your emotions mm-hmm. um, is ultimately what we want to try and instill in children at this age and that. 
I see children, like I said, coming in more frustrated, carrying more anxieties than I think I've seen in the last 20 Maybe because years in of- general we're not, we're not letting them deal with their own. I mean, you can't let a toddler deal with their own problems completely on their own. Right. Big problems. But small problems like where did you leave your shoes or... <laughs> Well, and exactly, and I think another big thing I've seen, too, is a lot of, and we're all guilty of it, um, not allowing our children to feel disappointment. Mm -hmm. So if their child lost their shoes and their child's upset, have your child, you can help your child find their shoes, but don't do it for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And if ultimately they, if there was, if the reason they can't find their shoes was because they didn't listen and they left them somewhere and they forgot them, well, then... The, the natural consequence might be that they have to go without their shoes to the trip to the store. And you know yeah. what? Ultimately, it's not the end of the world, but it just teaches children how to cope. Right. And learn natural consequence. Because they're and, not always, it's not always going to be a perfect situation and setting and you can't fix everything. Right. And you're, as a parent, this is very difficult. Trust me. We're, we're <laughs> all learning. My son just went to college. We're, we're not always going to be able to be there for our children. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, as parents and as teachers, we want to create children who are capable and independent and able to go out into the real world and cope because they're going to encounter problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In situations that they're not going to they're going to be unsure of and we as parents are not always going to be able to be there for them. I think too it extends a little bit even beyond parenting. Like as you're talking, I'm thinking back to the podcast that we did with an occupational therapist who talked about sensory regulation um, and that play settings and play structures and play spaces in public and schools are so safe. There's no risk, you know. And she talked about, I'm remembering, you know, when you're up in the tree, and we all remember this, you've climbed the tree and now you don't know how right. to get down. Right, how are you going to get down? Right, and so it's like, okay, I'm going to take a risk and put my foot here. My friend's telling me I should right. move my hand here. And that problem solving builds resilience and builds over which, a nature right. of overcoming something, which builds confidence. And, you know... That, Which goes it's into, not that scary right. to climb over the fake rock right. on the playground. Um, you know and what? Fall in the mulch. And fall <laughs> in the rubber mulch. Right. Uh, right. So, like, we've taken, not to be silly, but like, I've seen these old pictures of playgrounds in like the '40s there, where people are like swinging on, yeah, swinging on one arm. Metal poles (laughs) and the hot metal slide. Yeah, like a thousand degrees. Yeah, you made sure that before you got on that slide, you you touched touched it it to make sure you weren't going to burn yourself. It's problem solving. (laughs) It's problem solving. But I think a lot of which goes into another one of our topics is playing outdoors. Yeah. And why and that there's a lack of parents allowing their children to just go and be outside by themselves right. within pa- reason. Part of that is parental fear, but I also think part of that is community structure and development. Correct. We don't yeah. a lot of places we don't have communities where we even have sidewalks for kids to right. walk on their own to a friend's house yep. or um, you know, to the local corner store. Yep. Yeah. Like our whole world has sort of bubble-wrapped childhood. Um, go, we used to go to um, 
I can't think of the little convenience store by ourselves. We used to ride our bikes mm-hmm. and go buy a pack of gum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That looked like cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I found those. I know. (laughs) I was listening to another podcast of someone else who was talking about her childhood, and she was like, my parents in the 70s invented free-range parenting because they just didn't parent us. Um, And I was like, yeah. And oh my gosh, it was so good. Yeah. Because you had to learn how to figure... Figure things out on your own. And we didn't have to But your parents were there when you needed them. Yes. Right. It wasn't anarchy. But going back to the The candy candy cigarettes, cigarettes. when I purchased those for my children, (laughs) the cashier couldn't believe that she was excited that I was buying them for my children because she said that people come in their store and give them a really hard time. About the fact that they sell sell them candy cigarettes. And I was like, no, I think it's great to teach children. <laughs> not, not to what not to do right um and to not make it a such a faux pas yeah right so, anyway off top, that was a little that's topic, okay but but it goes back to the whole this whole our society as a whole even the cashier was noticing i've heard that. someone describe it as childhood is just so precious now yeah that's not one of my favorite like, words. <laughs> I know. But, like, as a joke. Like, not not as a joke, but, like, as a tongue-in-cheek. Like, it's it's not allowed to be real because it has to be right. so precious. It has to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And childhood is messy. It's not it's not precious. No. <laughs> um, tell me how you feel about mi- mixed age groups. Oh, I love mixed age groups. Tell us why. Because they resemble families. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just like I families, like yeah, we we take care of each other mm-hmm. like a family would. Mm-hmm. Um, ch- children support and take care of one another, and this is an this this is another reason children between the ages, as you you both know, zero through five, don't uh, they go through the same developmental stages, but not all at the same time. Right. So why would you put a bun- a group of three year olds together and expect them all to be at a three year old level? Right. Same with four-year-olds, five-year-olds. So when children are together in a multi-age environment, they can progress through the same developmental stages, but not all at the same rate. Right. So they can all progress at their individual level and not feel... So, like, isolated or excluded. So they all get a chance, and, and every child has strengths. Yeah. No matter what developmental stage they're at. So each, in a multi-age classroom, each child gets to be a leader. They get to be a teacher. Um, and also children learn from each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We talked, we talked, um, when Chrissy Keller came on our podcast, she's a, favorites. yeah, she's a um, behavioral specialist. If you haven't heard that episode, absolutely go back and listen to it. But when she talked about mixed age groups, she said, you know, in childhood, we learned games from older cousins and sisters and neighborhood kids. We learned Red Rover and Freeze Tag. And and really now, because kids aren't encouraged to be in mixed age groups in schools at all, and outdoor play doesn't happen as much in neighborhoods, that that's going away. Right. We're not seeing children learn those, like, time-honored childhood games from at all because they're not learning it from each other you know which is really sad but I thought it was a good point too and something maybe we're not realizing is happening because we're not seeing it as much um 
Okay. Well, um, what age do you think children should learn to read? Developmentally. <laughs> this is a funny one. <laughs> I think children... I'm sure parents <laughs> ask you this, right? Do parents ask you this? Um, not, not as much as I would expect them to. Okay. But honestly, I think the answer to this question is a children a child should learn to read when they're ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and each like I, we just spoke about each child is ready is going to be ready at their own, own time. Own, right. And a child needs to be confident. They need to and have a love for learning before it shouldn't. It sh- and reading is a very delicate. I think it's a very delicate thing. Mm-hmm. I think that when a child learns to read, it should be something that they choose. Mm-hmm. It should definitely not be something that's being pushed upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, they're going to learn to resent it, it right? Mm-hmm. So I always see reading as a very, like, and exciting, just encourage it when delicate. you see signs for it. Absolutely. It's just like potty training. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that. That, that <laughs> like reminds me know. of potty yeah, training. Yeah, you'll know when the time is right. and. When your child presents the signs, just go with it mm-hmm. and just be excited for them. And I think that's important for parents, too, because there's so much pressure when somebody else's kid is reading. Right. Mm-hmm. But definitely not. A child should, doesn't need to be reading by the time they leave preschool. It's, it's not appropriate for a three- and a four-year-old child What do you think children should be able to do by the time they leave preschool? I think a child, the most important thing we, like we spoke about before, is teaching a child how to self-regulate mm-hmm. before they leave preschool. Because if you can't self-regulate and cope, then there is nothing you teach a child is going to, they're not going to mm-hmm. be able to be receptive to learning if they can't self-regulate and know how to sit, know how to listen, know how to pay attention. Um, and all of that has to be on their terms. Mm-hmm. That has to be something that's instilled inside them intrinsically rather mm-hmm. than something that we force upon them. We had a family friend who taught kindergarten for years and years and years. And when our kids were getting ready to go to preschool, she said, listen, this is what it boils down to. The kids who have gone to preschool know how to switch from one activity to the other, make friends, and stand in line. Yep. <laughs> she, and wash their said, hands. And wash their hands. <laughs> yep. She said, the ones who don't, just wait till Christmas time to learn that in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that's yep. probably a realist view of... Uh-huh. And I think another important thing for a child to, when they leave preschool is for them to, to feel happy. Yeah. And excited about yeah, their next ex- step. Absolutely. And proud. We were just... Mm-hmm. Proud. Just wanting your child to be excited and happy yeah. to go. To go off to kindergarten or college, <laughs> so we'll get there. <laughs> Melanie just returned a child to college, so which is, which <laughs> and is, he's happy. He's so, very happy. I'm very so excited. So that's to be good. There. What about um, technology? That's a that's a big topic. I, yes, no, somewhere in the middle. When I think it's a it's a reality in our world today. So we need to recognize. That, you know, technology is there. It's everywhere. It's, I think children, if we're talking early childhood, it's, I don't really think it needs to be introduced at such an early age. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's all be honest, when mom's cooking dinner and we need some peace and quiet, we're we're all guilty of throwing an iPad, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But I just don't feel that it should be, we should be dependent Mm 
mm-hmm. on technology at this age. Or that it should be replacing social interactions exactly. and community outings with family or friends. And I hear so many parents say, but my child learned Spanish. or they, mm-hmm. He learned all his letters, and that's great. And they probably, now they can memorize and recite all the letters, but that but it's not, it? exactly, it's not true learning. Um, it's not, yeah, like Lacey is saying, you, would they be able to apply that? Um, so, like, but there is there needs to be a balance, I think. Mm-hmm. And as children get older, they need to learn what technology is, and obviously... Safety. They're going to need, yeah, because it's a part of our world mm-hmm. we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard something earlier in the week for um, for older kids and even adults you know, my phone or my iPad isn't going to censor itself for me. Mm-hmm. I have to be the one who puts limits on it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And know what That's is healthy for me. Pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I even remind myself that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing, what I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How it affects me when I yeah. turn it, it off. It affects you know, our moods. It how affects. I feel yes. when I'm done. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, let's play a game. You ready? We're going to have you fill like, in the blank. This is hard, by the way. <laughs> I wish once a day every family would. So I've either, this was hard, I couldn't decide. Play outside together. Ooh, yeah. Or go outside, just be outside. Yeah. Or, or eat dinner together and oh. talk and have conversations Those and listen tie. to each other. Yeah. Without their phones at the table. Yeah. Those Which are good. I have, I don't know who told me that they do this. I was just telling. Basket. They put their phones on the desk in the kitchen. When as soon as everybody walks in the house, they have to set their phone. So we've been applying that rule. Well, we've been trying. Yeah. To apply that rule in our home and um, eating dinner without our phones. It's good. And actually look at each other and have conversations. I think is really really important. Mm-hmm. And something we're lacking. Oh yeah, we all. It's hard for all of us, mm-hmm. especially people who do work from home. Because, I mean, I'll, I'm guilty of it. I'll answer anyone's text right. or call or message. And what do you think, I mean, think about that. I just thought of this. As a three-year-old sitting at the dinner table and your mom and dad are on their phone. Yeah. So not only for the three-year-old to have, obviously the three-year-old doesn't have a phone, but think of the the message it sends yeah. that child, your child, if you're... Well, and I mean, all, all mammals imitate human mm-hmm. behavior or behavior. So humans... You know, little humans see big humans on phones all the time. Right. They think, oh, okay, that's right. what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So. so that's what we do. We sit at the table and hold on to things. <laughs> all right. Next one. If I could do one thing every day with my students, it would be? To laugh. Mm. Oh. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. Because sometimes children will put you into perspective. Like you, oh, We totally. get so serious about... What we're supposed to be doing as teachers and adults, and we get so set in our way of thinking, and then something silly will happen, and you just crack up laughing, and then you remember. Yeah, that, that your natural state is joy. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Was for. Okay, I don't know how you're going to pick this one, but my favorite <laughs> childhood <laughs> book is The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. By Eric Carl. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about your Eric's about your Eric Carl experience. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, his book, for some reason, has always been instilled in in me, um, as in my memories as a child. 
And as I got older and started researching more about his life, and I discovered his life is very intriguing. Um, and the whole main reason he wrote his books was he wanted children to feel safe. Mm. He feels that children in preschool, there should be a connection between home and preschool. So he, he always, his dad would take him on walks and look for bugs and lift up logs, and those are his memories. And so he wanted to instill that message in his book. So that's why he writes a lot of books about insects. I never knew that. So when children, he wants children to feel happy. And if you ever watch a YouTube video of him, he is the cutest, most humble <laughs> but man. But you've met him. Several times. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little bit of a stalker. Um, but he, he does signings and a book. He has a picture book museum in Massachusetts. And you've been? Yes. We've gone up there for a couple of times to, for a signing. He also is friends with a small book owner in New Jersey. Um, so he'll go and do small book signings. In at the little bookstore there. That's so I went, so cool. and when I met him, this was the best story. <laughs> I went in to the little room where he was sitting, and I just couldn't contain myself, and I was just crying really hard because I was so <laughs> happy to meet him. And he looked at me and said, he just looked up at me and said, but I'm just me. Aww. So, of course, it made me cry even harder because <laughs> that's why I just, okay. he's such an amazing, humble person. That's so cool. And in his life story, if you ever get the chance to to read about his life story, it's pretty yeah. cool. Add it to the list. Okay, we kind of already answered this, but if you have anything else to add, the most important thing for a preschooler preschooler to learn before they start school is well, we I kind of talked yeah, about that self regulation, learning to be capable, and confidence. Yeah, having confidence and being happy, and I think. If a preschooler has all of those things, the rest is the rest They'll will be fine. Come. Yes. Do you have any favorite resources, websites, books, certain people on social media, um, just for the pre-K age in general? Um, a big one of the big ones I like to follow is NACI, which is the National Association for Early oh, Education of the Young, young child. child. Yeah, and they're. Actually, I worked at a preschool. The preschool I worked at in, when I was young was being NACI accredited mm-hmm. at the time. And that's where I have to say there's a, one of my mentors, Jane. If you're out there, Jane. Shout out, Jane. <laughs> she actually taught me so many, so many things that um, st- have stayed with me. Is- and NACI, correct me if I'm wrong, they have a, a pretty stringent um, set of standards for developmentally yes. appropriate learning. Yes, they are very high standards, which should be. Right. Um, but their, their vision is for all young children to thrive and learn in a society dedicated to ensuring they reach their full potential. And it's, good it's all about yeah, supporting teachers and um, making early childhood places, centers, um, and preschools, the best they can be. That's good. That's good. What do you think we, we, um, talked to a math educator today, earlier today, which will be another episode about this, but you know, there's a gap. We talked about this in another episode, refer back to our math, um, podcast with Cindy Everts. If, if you haven't heard it at the time, this one is launched, but we know there's a gap between um, what educators know um, through training and through instinct about what children 
need to learn and what lawmakers do um, in creating educational guidelines. And I'm, I'm just curious, what, what supports um, do young children need? What do lawmakers need to know about what young children need to learn? If we, if we have lawmakers listening, what would you like them to know about early childhood education? I think lawmakers need to understand a child's brain and how it works and how children learn. Um, and there's, there are resources, there are educators who would be mm-hmm. happy to work, to work along with. I think in some do, I feel like there's a little bit of a, we've turned a corner. Do you feel like we've we're turned getting a corner? There. Yes. I think we're getting there. And I think the, in the last two years we, we have what the most children in the pre-K program than we ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing to consider about, lawmakers in pre-k is how not how we need to look at how we do pre-k not whether or not we do it mm-hmm. so quality we quality versus just the quantity of programs and honestly have. i've done a lot of research into this and um i think that the biggest the biggest thing we should spend our money and invest our money on is the teachers and training the teachers mm-hmm. to teach in a way that we can help children become capable mm-hmm. and build confidence. Um, and as you were saying earlier, when children reach the age of three, they opt out of the birth to three programs. Mm-hmm. So they go into the pre-K programs and a lot of the resources aren't there for them anymore. Mm-hmm. And the teachers are left to cope with children with special needs and trauma. And teachers aren't, we're not, we don't have the tools Mm-hmm. necessarily to deal with children who've come from those types of environments. So I think paying, investing for more training um, and knowledge resources mm-hmm. for teachers to have I state support. Listening, I'm, I'm just such a big proponent of letting teachers be the voice of education. Yeah. <laughs> Not that. a lot, right? <laughs> like I just, and when I refer it. to pre-K, I'm speaking of the public universal pre-K programs. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to focus more. I feel like pre-K, the word in itself bothers me. And, I, and I've had to what really... What would you like it to be called? Because pre-K means pre- getting ready kindergarten. Getting ready for K. Right. We're getting ready for kindergarten. Why are we not getting ready for the rest of their learning years? Why mm-hmm. is it just kindergarten we're getting ready for? So when a child's in preschool, pre-K, however, whatever coin term you want to coin it, they should ultimately be getting ready for the rest of their learning years which Mm -hmm. goes all the way up to Mm -hmm. college um what they learn i guess there's that thing though out there the people say what you learn in kindergarten Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same philosophy with preschool Um, i think i was just with my cousin and and she lives in france and she has a five-year-old and my american brain was like now what grade is she going to be in but they call it, and I can't remember the French word, but it's basically three years of kindergarten, and then you go to grade one or whatever, the equivalent. Like, there's not a pre-K, right. K. It's such a stigma. It's that just this is... like a, and then I'm like, well, we used to call it nursery school. Right. And that's what I like. <laughs> and it wasn't yes. three-year-old nursery school or nursery four-year-old school. nursery it school. It was just nursery, nursery school. school. Yep. Where you go and you have fun <laughs> mm-hmm. and you learn and you play. Yeah. And you get ready to go off to school. And I had a report card that had the 
can she jump? Can right. she skip? Right. I still have it. I have little pictures. It's adorable. Yes. I have my preschool um, progress report as well. Did it have skipping and jumping? It said that um, <laughs> sh- in the comments, it said that I, I had a quirky habit of sleeping with my shoes. <laughs> It's really funny, too, that you've owned preschools where you don't wear shoes now. Yes. Yeah. That's hilarious. You don't want to take your shoes off. No. And my mom said when she used to go buy me shoes at the shoe, like, I would scream bloody murder. Because that was back in the day when there was a shoe person. A salesperson that would take your shoes, measure your foot, and I guess I wasn't having it. Now that person's called Zappos. So, Yes. Okay, yeah, so, so you have the mic. Kids are heading back to classrooms, to preschools. Um, what do you want students and parents to know? What's your back-to-school message? I think the most important thing, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this question was to just take a deep breath and be mindful and pay attention um, and be together and enjoy and and. Take in every moment of this time and that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. That there, like we said the the earlier, um, discuss earlier in the discussion, there is no wrong or right answer Mm -hmm. and ultimately it's all going to work out. Mm -hmm. And as long as you have a good feeling when you walk in and drop your child off on the first day of preschool, just trust your gut instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think everything, everything will be okay. Preschool was and my be favorite. happy. If your child sees that you're sad, it's so hard, but <laughs> you convey your feelings to your child. So when you do drop them off on the first day of school, be happy, be excited for them, and convey that message to them. Because if they see that you're scared or you're sad, that's the message that they're you're conveying that this is what you should feel. Mm-hmm. So you you want your child to walk into school and feel proud and happy. So. Then you can go in your car and cry. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple just, short be, hours come back. Yes, but be confident for them and tell them, you know, comfort their fears. Tell them that everything's, you're safe mm-hmm. here. The place that mommy and daddy chose is because we love it here and we know you're going to love it here too. Yeah, it's a good message. Thanks so, for hanging out with us. Oh, thanks for having you're me. You're just always awesome, so fun as with. always. We will um, link... To this podcast, we'll link um, Morgan Academy. We'll link the resources that Melanie shared with us. Um, so be sure to check them out. You can send questions. You can you can find her and become a Miss Melanie fan too. Um, <laughs> as a reminder, you can always find us on the web at milestonesandmiracles.com with the and spelled out. We have a lot of free blog resources. We have resources for therapists, um, some downloads, continuing education, courses and links with some great discounts. As always, we have one, two, three, just play with me, um, which is a great reminder of what is developmentally typical and how you can encourage those early milestones with play. It's available on our website and through Amazon and select developmental um, retailers and makes a great baby gift. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. We hope this podcast eases your, your preschool nursery school, early school, whatever you want to call it, um, fears and anxieties, and that you, um, as we have, uh, uh, really enjoy and appreciate those years because they just are great. And remember to keep playing. Thanks. Bye-bye.